Are we amplified? Good morning, everybody. Hey, I'm feeling great. Yeah, Bobby wants to know how I'm feeling because I called him and I said, if I'm not there, if I can't be there, you better be ready. And he was, but he, he ain't, so, or I ain't, or I am, or something. Good to see you. Happy New Year. <clears throat> Hope you had a good celebration for Christmas and New Year's. Just glad to see you here this morning. We're getting started back into our class on 1 Samuel. And as you can see, we've got a review up here. So let's see what we're talking about. And it's been two weeks. Last week, of course, we just had the one assembly for worship. So we haven't had class in two weeks. Let's see how much we remember about what we've covered so far. Who had the Ark of the Covenant as chapter 6 begins? And, and this is a little presumptuous on my part because we haven't read this, but I'm assuming you will know. Who had the Ark of the Covenant as chapter 6 begins? Good guys or bad guys? The bad guys. Yeah, the, the Philistines or Philistines, however you want to pronounce it. They had the Ark as chapter 16 begins. Or just 6, 16. I'm getting ahead of myself. Where had the Philistines put the ark and what happened there? <clears throat> it was in a temple. Whose temple? Temple of Dagon. And what happened at the temple of Dagon while the ark was there over a couple nights? He fell down, go boom. He fell down and they stood him up. And the next night he fell down again. And what happened after that? His lost his head and his hands broke off. He was just made out of out of, uh, of stone anyway. So, what God do to the Philistines in each place where they had the ark? They had it. You remember the first town? Was it Ashkelon? And then they moved it around. They moved it to uh, Gath, and then they wanted to move it to Ekron. What did the people of Ekron say? Don't bring it here. <laughs> not, not after what happened to everybody else. Don't bring it here. The, uh, the text says tumors. King James says emeralds. Uh, you can make of that what you will, but also along with that, when we read what they were going to do about sending it back, we find out there were mice involved, a plague of mice. So that's what God was doing to the Philistines where they had the ark. Where are Eli and his boys by this time? They are dead and gone, dead and gone. The boys were killed during the battle because they had uh, taken the ark out to the battle without God's direction or even permission. And the Philistines overcame them, took the ark, and the boys died. And when the word came back about the boys, Samuel fell backwards and his neck broke and he died. But uh, they were trying to use it like a good luck charm. Right. And uh, a lot of times people want to use the church like that as well. Absolutely. Well, you know, I was at church. You know, that's their excuse to why they weren't doing the Lord's work. But they, they're... They're trying to use the church like it's a good luck. Yes. But it, it work. And on that note, I, and I'm, I'm not against anything I'm about to mention. <clears throat> Sometimes you'll see people wearing uh, an image of the cross. 
And that doesn't mean because they wear it that they're depending on it as a good luck charm. But I do know that there are some people who wear it thinking, okay, things will go better if I wear the cross around my neck or if I wear it as an earring or if I I do this or I do that. I remember when I graduated uh, high school, I did graduate high school, one of my friends gave me an aluminum cross about that tall and its design was to go in your pocket. And every time you put your hand in your pocket, you would feel that cross and you'd be reminded. And that's, I thought, that's a pretty good deal. And so I carried that in my pocket for years. And I, I'm sorry to say I have no idea where it is right now. But for a long time, I carried that. And so I know that people can keep a cross and it means more to them than a good luck charm. However, if it's a good luck charm to you, consider changing the way you think about that. Uh, it's interesting, too, is it not, that... There's nothing in the text of scripture that even suggests to us that we ought to be uh, using the cross in any form or fashion. Uh, we, We do what? We preach the message of the cross. And again, I'll say I'm not against it. Obviously, we've had this image here for years, and I, I appreciate and enjoy it because every time you see it, what do you think of? You, you think of the sacrifice made for you. So I'm not against it at all, but I do find it interesting that there's nothing in Scripture that suggests doing that. As Bud mentions, the Israelites apparently were doing with the ark, using it like a, a good luck charm. Yes? Got the, uh, Jesus and, and the two thieves down because that was a curse to be hung on a tree after dark. Right. So... So the cross was the beginning a curse. of the curse. Curse is he who's, who's hung on a tree, is what the old text would say. So it's interesting that, that all, all of that imagery uh, comes back to us. All right. That's our review. Anybody want to add anything to the review or go back and look at anything we've covered that. Bobby? that they were they depending on God <laughs> depending on the ark our tendency to put our faith in things we can see and touch in material things and the things of this world which in in their estimation at that point I would say that the ark was really something more of this world than of God in their minds at least I think that's the way we tend to be if If you were to lose everything you had physically right now, if there was some fell swoop and you just lost it all, would you take great comfort in the fact that your relationship with God is solid? Or would you drop into the depths of despair? That's a question I hope none of us ever have to answer, but it's one worthy, I think, of consideration. Uh, that's, That's more or less what the rich man faced. Remember the young guy that came to Jesus and said, what good thing can I do that I might be saved? And first Jesus mentioned the law. Well, keep the law. 
What's, what's Moses saying? And what did the young man respond? Oh, yeah, I've done all that since my youth. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's clueless. He was clueless. And then Jesus said, sell everything you've got and give it to the poor and come follow me and you'll have wealth in heaven. And the young man went away sorrowfully. But, and then... Well, I was just going to add to that. Trust. It's what do we trust in. Yes. In our works, uh, in our in our contacts with uh, people in the church. Uh, what is it that we're going to put our trust in? Right. Our trust needs to be in Jesus Christ and nothing more. Or nothing, certainly nothing less. Trust. So trust is different than faith. Trust is based on faith, but but trust is different from faith. That's the actively uh, putting your faith into action. Preston? I agree with what Bud said. It's how, we, how we place our trust. Uh, you know, just this last year, of course, I had to have open surgery, and that day before, you know, what do you do? How do you get your mind right? Are you willing to put yourself in the hands of the people that are going to operate on you, you know, cut you open, right. replumb you. And then I thought about what do I know in the Bible similar to that? And I thought about, you know, God putting Adam to sleep and taking the rib. And, I mean, he was in the hands of the Creator. And what we put our trust in. And then I thought about being buried in baptism and how we, when we're baptized, we're putting our trust in the Lord. And I agree with you hundred uh, percent as to how we place our trust. And do we trust in the things of the earth or do we trust in the Lord? But to me I constantly have to train my mind to make sure that I'm trusting in the Lord and not the things of the world. Yes, it's absolutely <clears throat> a constant thing to remind ourselves because it's so easy to fall into the the habit of trusting the things that we can see. Taste, touch, smell, all of that stuff. All of our natural physical senses are the things we can tend to trust the most if we don't exercise our spiritual senses. All right, well, let's do some reading. Here are our assignments. Who wants the first five verses of chapter six so we can get started into some new material here? Anybody? Five, Just five verses. All right, John's got it. And then six through nine. Verses 6 through 9. Okay, Bobby's got that. 10 through 16. And I see Larry's hand. And this time he's not pointing at Janie, so that's good. And then 17 through 21. Finish out the chapter. Anybody want to take that? Bob's got it. All right. Let's read the sixth chapter of 1 Samuel. In the country of the Philistines, seven months. The Philistines called for the priests and the uh, diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with what we shall send it to its place. They said, If you send away the ark of the God of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, What is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the Lord to the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you, and you and all your lords. So you must also, or so you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land, and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. 
Why then do you harden your hearts, as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When did he, or when did my, excuse, when he did mighty things among them, did they not let the people go that they might depart? Now therefore, make a new cart. Take two milk cows, which have never been yoked, and hitch the cows to the cart. Take their calves home, away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart, and put the articles of gold which are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side. Then send it away and let it go. And watch, if it goes up the road to its own territory, to Bethlehem, then he has done this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us, it was by chance that it happened. <coughs> then the men did so and took, took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. They put the ark of the Lord on the cart in the box with the golden mice and the likenesses of their tumors. And the cows took the straight way in the direction of Bethlehem. They went along the highway. <coughs> Rolling as they went, and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines followed them to the border of Bethlehem. But the people of Bethlehem were weeping the wheat harvest in the valley, and they raised their eyes and saw the ark, and were glad to see it. The cart came to the field of Joshua the Bethlehemite, and stood there, where there, there, where there was a large stone. Lift the wood of the cart and offer the cows as upon offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was with it, and wished for the ark of gold and put them on a large stone. And the men of Bethlehem offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices that day to the Lord. When the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned to Bethlehem that day. These are the gold tumors which the Philistines returned for a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both of fortified cities and of country villages. The large stone on which they set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua the Beshemite. He struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck down of all the people 50,070 men. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. The men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord, Come down and take it up to you. All right. I know. I told you at the beginning of this class we were not going to read every chapter. If you only knew the struggle it was for me to decide what not to read, what to leave out, because this stuff is just, it's just rich. There's so much here. How long did the Philistines have the ark? Seven months, and they came up with a plan. How did they come up with a plan? Who did they ask? 
The diviners and their priests, they had priests and diviners. The, the text doesn't go into detail about who those guys were and their qualifications, but they had priests, they had diviners. And so, so, so what, what are we going to do? And what was the plan they came up with? Send it back in its original packaging. Now, how did they send it back? They were going to put it on a cart. What kind of a cart? A new cart. And that apparently signifies honor. We're not going to send back an old, used, worn-out cart that somebody has already used for some other purpose. This one's dedicated to this purpose right here. It's, it's new, and what are we going to hitch it to? Two milk cows. Describe the milk cows besides being milk cows. They've never been hitched to a yoke, which animals need to be trained to use an oak, uh, an oak a yoke. A yoke of oak, I guess. And milk cows? And what else does it say about the milk cows? They've got calves. What do you do with the calves? You take those calves back home where those milk cows are used to being, where they know where home is, and then you hook them up to this cart with a, with a yoke, and they've never been in a yoke before. And then the, the how many lords of the Philistines? Five of them were going to watch. Why do you think they were watching? They, they wanted to see because that was what they stipulated. They said, we want to know, is God doing this or is it just by chance? And so if we watch these milk cows go away from their calves because the tendency of a cow that's got a calf would be to return home where the calf is to take care of that calf, take care of it. I, I don't know what a cow thinks. I know they taste good. That's about all. What's that? bunch of bawling cows and that's what they were when they left they left they went the opposite way they hit the road together and they stayed on the road they didn't just wander around going crazy as as cows normally would who've never been in yoke before but they hit the road and they went straight to beth shemesh and i think it, it says the lords of the philistines wanted to see this to know that it was god doing it but i also think these guys wanted to make sure that they were rid of this thing they didn't want to <laughs> we don't want any accidents <laughs> we don't want it to come back so that's what happened. And I find this fascinating. Go back to verse 5 and 6. Did you catch this? What shall be the guilt offering? Who gave them any idea of a guilt offering? Where else do we read about a guilt offering? It's in the law. It's in the text of the law. Guilt offering up a guilt offering. And then you get to verse 6. Who is talking and what are they teaching the Philistines? It's got to be the priests and the diviners. And they are recounting what? Let me tell you guys about what happened in Egypt. And he's telling them as if they already know. Why then do you harden your hearts? This is, this is some Philistine guy talking. As the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts. How did the Philistines know about this? Well, it's been a long time. Yeah, they were. Word gets around. And there was no, oh, that didn't really happen. No, they knew this stuff happened. There's evidence right here that all of... Exodus is absolutely true. 
you have to give the glory to God of Israel. Right. Not their God. Israel. Nobody needs to say you, do they? Yes, we better give glory to God. He's the one who smote us with these tumors and these mice. Let's, let's, and what does a golden tumor look like? I don't even know. But that's what they made, five golden tumors and five mice. Mice we know, tumors I'm not so sure. Maybe you'll look up it up in the medical encyclopedia. Type that in, golden tumor, uh, images. I don't know, I don't want to see images of golden tumors. <clears throat> but that's what they did. Put those things in a box, put it on the cart with the ark, and sent it traveling. And they're, they're recounting what God has done for the Israel and what God has done to the Egyptians. And so the question comes to mind. If they knew this stuff, why did they take the ark in the first place? They don't don't mess with if, if they found it and they were smart and, and savvy to this information. Why didn't they, no no leave that ark man that's bad news we don't want to take the ark and uh, just okay no it's it's not the ark there's something connected with that ark and it's bigger than what we know and so to me this is fascinating we're we're talking about people who know what's going on but they still don't quite know what's going on they see it but they don't see it it's all around them and it's it's the same way today it's exactly the same way today. it's what paul wrote about they know that that there is a god and that there is a religion but they deny the power of it and it's it's all the same stuff and the reason we deny that power is because we're caught up in this physical world and we want things to go our way and not God's way because, well, I don't want to give my life to God and then I don't have any control over my life to do what I want to do because obviously I know more about what to do with my life than God does. It's the same. It's always been the same. It'll always be the same until the Lord comes back. There'll be people denying God until Gabriel blows his trumpet. And then there we are. 19. Uh, says, but God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh, putting seven of them to death because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. And are the guys of Beth Shemesh Philistines? Yes. Read carefully. Those guys are Israelites. The, the Philistines have sent the ark away, and the ark goes to Beth Shemesh, where they had planned for it to go to get it back into the hands of the Israelites. The Israelites, these Beth Shemesh guys, get it. They're the first ones. Wisely, they send for the Levites, and the Levites come to handle the ark. But in the meantime, somewhere along the way, some of those goobers said, "It, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just like the joke we hear today. Hey, here, hold my beer. <laughs> I'm going to pull the lid off this ark. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, who knows what they were thinking, but they weren't thinking the right thing. And the irony is the Philistines have learned to honor God. Man, we don't know what we're doing, but we got to get this back to God. Let's make some images out of what? Gold. And put them in a box and let, let there be how many images? Why five? 
Because there were five lords, and each one of those lords says, I want images made, one to represent me of a mouse and one to represent me of a tumor, to recognize in the presence of God as best we know how that we are, we are honoring him now and recognizing his great power. And so they, they send it back, and then it comes to Israel, and the Israelites, hey, what's in this box? While it's here, yeah. Because here in 18, it says, The golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both of fortified cities and of country villages. Okay. So we don't really know how many mice there were. There, there could have been 60 or 80 mice in that thing. And they knew there were more than 60 or 80 mice ravaging their fields and their crops and all their food supplies. That's what mice do. I'm sure that's what they did. That's why there was such a plague. So... Here. Actually, the Philistines were honoring God better than Israel at this time. Absolutely. And earlier, I asked the question, good guys or bad guys, almost facetiously, because what are the, the bad guys doing? They're honoring God. They have learned by their fault to honor God. Years has it been that Israel is doing what was right in their own sight? Exactly. That's how Judges ends. They're all doing what's right in their own sight. Paul? So what I'm reading here, it says that apparently the Philistines make golden images of their, this is kind of gross, but hemorrhoids, piles, tumors, <laughs> and mice and rats representing infestation that marred their land. That might be an insight into why they made golden tumors, right? Right, mice to represent an infestation. And without elaborating on any of that, just imagine the misery. And this was back in the day. Uh, don't, don't have any modern facilities, so this is what they have suffered. And this suffering has brought them to the point where the five lords say. We need to honor this God and get this ark back to him. And then the Beth Shemites get hold of it, and they open it. And it's like, remember Peter's words in Acts 10 when he's talking about the, the conversion of Cornelius, and he says, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he who fears him and does righteousness is welcome to him. And on the other side of that is everybody who disregards him and dishonors him will find uh, on the, themselves on the wrong end of the stick, whether you're Philistine or Israelite. Uh, so when you think about Uzzah later on, we'll read about Uzzah, and he, he reaches out to steady the ark so it doesn't fall off a cart of a different kind. It's, it's an interesting story that there are some parallels here. But God will strike Uzzah down. And what will David do as a result? He'll get angry. At first, at first he'll get angry. And then, after he has some time, he'll come back and he'll say, You know what, guys? We did not seek God in his prescribed way before. And that's what happened. That's why he broke forth on Uzzah. David repented. This, When you read about him being a man after God's own heart, you can kind of see it. You see the human pride. You see the ego. But then you see... The humility, the repentance, the coming back to God to say, you know what, man, I, I am sorry. And what a lesson for us.
today. What a lesson for us in the Philistines and in the Bethshemites. Honor God. Honor God. So we don't have an ark today. What do we have? What's that? We, we have God's word. We do. Uh, what else do we have? We have the church. We honor the word by reading it, by studying it, by trying to apply it to our lives. But the church is where we really have the opportunity to show God honor in any similar fashion to, to the ark. The church is his bride. We are his bride. We are his body. We are the elect of God, not by reason of our wonderfulness or anything like that, but simply by virtue of the fact that we've, by faith, put ourselves in Christ or allowed him to put us in, in Christ. And so how we see the church, how we treat the church, how we talk about the church, how we reverence the church as the bride of Christ makes so much difference, I believe, in our lives as Christians and in our relationship with God. Because how, how can you pray to God, Lord, uh, I, I honor you as God, but your church, I, you know, it'd be, I'd love the church if it wasn't for those people. It's, it, that's kind of the way we think sometimes. Isn't it? Because we're all, we're all a mess, but we're the church. And this is, this is what God we are the joy. In my mind, when, when the Hebrew writer talked about the joy set before him, that's why Christ endured the cross. It's us. It's the church. It's the saved. Paul? I saw the Bible in a way, kind of like God was in the tabernacle, the presence of God being with the physical creation in the form of the tabernacle. In a way, I kind of see it, and it's not a perfect parallel, Kind of like the word, the living word of God in a physical form, in the words, the Bible that we have, the text. I almost kind of see it as that. It's not as real as the Holy Spirit, let's say, living in us, but the word, the living word of God among people. You know what I'm saying? I, I always found that kind of fascinating. Right. It's, it's the living word of God, whether it's in a, in a book form, a scroll, or whether it's simply hidden in our hearts. I've got to remind myself, because today we, we live in a, a time, a wonderful time, when how many copies of the Bible do you have available to you? And how many different translations? And not just the, the physical hard copies, as we call it today, but how many electronic copies? You go back 100 years, 200 years, how available were the scriptures to people then? When was the printing press invented? 14, I can't remember, 1400 something. Gutenberg made that first printing press. What was the first book printed on the printing press? The, the Bible, Gutenberg Bible, yeah. So there was a time when we were not rich with the word like we are now in, in that sense. But you don't have to have all those hard copies to be rich in the word if you'll just read and implant that seed in your heart like James talked about. Uh, yes? James, they had, they had this problem with the first century because James mentioned you believe that God is one. That's great. Even the demons believe and tremble. You know, 
So believing is wonderful. Now let's act on it in an appropriate manner. Exactly. And, and we struggle with that, they struggle with that, and the Israelites struggle with that. And the Philistines. I don't know if struggle with that is the same is, is the right term to use. Yeah, we, we're watching them start to learn because they knew the history. They're, they're saying, guys, don't you remember what God did with the Egyptians? Oh, wait a minute. They knew about that? Yeah, they knew about that. And, and that information guided their thinking, and that's what it needs to do for us today. When we read the old scriptures, the Old Testament, the, old Co- the history that God's provided, that should lead us to thinking in terms of the new. Let those stories, that history, guide your thinking. All of this, the ark, the tabernacle, the priesthood, all those things are shadows. Shadows. How do you get a shadow? You have the thing that's real. And that thing that's real casts the shadow. And they do this sometimes. You'll see it in a movie, like especially in a, like a horror movie or something. Somebody is doing something and a shadow comes over. And, you, and what do you ask yourself in your mind when you see that shadow? What is that? What is that? Well, you're not asking what the shadow is. You want to know what's making that shadow because that's what you really need to be concerned with. And what was making the shadow was the reality of Christ and the church and the kingdom. Jamie? The need in making the shadow is the light itself. Because yes. without the light, doesn't matter what's there, you're not going to be able to see that. So knowing that what we know now that Jesus is coming, that he is the light that is casting that shadow on what's to come. And is also... Exactly. He's all of it. He's, he's the thing that is the reality that is the casting the shadow, but he's the light behind the shadow. And when you read... The creation account. What's the first thing God creates? Light. Let there be light. And I've wondered to myself, I don't know that this is true, but I've wondered, how would we picture the creation taking place if we couldn't picture it taking place with light? It's like everything happened in the dark. God says the first thing he made was light. And and then he's brought the light to us continually, continually, continually. He brings light. And we keep going back to the darkness, to the, to the things of this world. All right, so that's, that's chapter 6. Yes? I'm sorry? We think about it. I talk to people and they say, Jesus, yes, church, no. You can't have Jesus without the church. Because when you obey the simple gospel, appear and believe, repenting, and confess your sin, being baptized, you accept Christ, and he adds you to his church. We don't add each other. Christ himself adds us to this church. So you can't say, Jesus, yes, church, no. Exactly. Think of some Israelites saying, you know, I, I want to be right with God. I don't care about any ark. What's on top of the ark? What happens on the mercy seat? That's where the blood is offered for your sin. You better care about the ark. You better honor the ark. Because that's, that's not there by chance. That's God's design. And so the church is God's design. The church is his elect. And you've well said, you can't honor Christ without honoring the church. You've got to honor the church. The greatest threats that the Israelites had was being put out of the synagogue. 
which would be very reminiscent of us not being a part of the church. And there was another ark as well, Noah's ark. Where did you have to be to survive the flood? You had to be in that ark. It's, it's all very interesting how this ties together. All right, let's go to chapter 7. I need somebody for chapter 7, 1 through 4. We'll just read that first to get started. Who wants to do that? Oh, Jamie, got you. And then let's go ahead and do 5 through 11. Chapter 7, 5 through 11. Who wants to do that portion? Who's that? Jake? All right. We'll just, we'll just do those two for now, and then we'll, uh, we'll see how far that takes us. Jamie? Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the ashtoreths among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the ashtoreths, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And they gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, and said there We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry to the Lord, for God is for us, that he may save us from the land of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it to the whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder, on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before the Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. So, Kiriath-Jerim. What happens there? That becomes the home of the ark for how long? 20 years. And it's in the house of a fellow by the name of Abinadab. And Abinadab does what? He consecrates his son, Eleazar, to keep the ark of the Lord. How much of that is prescribed by the law? None of it. <laughs> none, of it. None, none of this is according to the book. It's, it's like God says, all right, I, I know you guys are, are a mess, 
And I really think that the Lord is looking on their hearts at this point because it says in verse 3, Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, if you return to the Lord with all your heart. Well, if he's saying if you return, what have they been doing? They've been away from God. And so what is he telling them to do in order to return? Put your idols away from you, all these foreign gods. And I, I know there's, there's plenty of room for self-examination here, but I keep thinking, did the Israelites not know their own history as well as the Philistines knew the Israelites' history about what God had done for them in coming out of Egypt and the Exodus and Pharaoh and all of that? And the evidence here is either they didn't know or they didn't care. It wasn't registering with them. It wasn't resonating to show them God is your God and our God is an awesome God and he is the God of all peoples. He would be if they would simply come to him. Now, where did you read that? <laughs> Mike. Yeah, I think the prophets, their own prophets. I think also we can remember that they had rejected God, you know, altogether. Right. It's that they, they practiced syncretism. In other words, they kept up with their, their own religion, but uh, on a local level, because they failed for local God, they served the local God. In other words, they, they, they merged the two together. They, festivals and they kept those rights and did that. But on a day-to-day basis, they worshiped the Baals and the other local gods. And God was saying, you know, the first commandment, you know, no other gods. And that's the part that they uh, were being stubborn about. Right. So, so they were worshiping God, but they were also worshiping all these other gods. And just imagine you uh, got a great marriage Move to another country, however, and your husband says, now in this country, it's, it's tradition for a man to have more than one wife. So, sweetheart, just so we can fit in with this culture, uh, right, how's that going to work? Send you home in a box. That's, that won't work. And, yeah, with ulcers, with something... And when you read through the prophets, what they continually used as a metaphor was your adultery, your adultery, your adultery. Not necessarily the the physical kind of adultery, but the spiritual adultery of being unfaithful to God by having affairs, if you will, with all these other gods. And this, this is it. What happened after they came out of Egypt and Moses was on the mountain? What'd they do? I wasn't there. But I can't imagine after experiencing what they experienced saying, all right, let's make a calf and we'll call that our God. It just defies any kind of common sense at all. Paul? I would propose that we're watching, we're seeing the same thing happen with our country today. What is so hard to understand about it. And we even have the benefit of the entire gospel. We have the whole story. We even know what's coming way more than the Israelites did. We know the history. 
And yet, look at our country. Look at how we have strayed. We have allowed other nations to come in. I'm not going to be political in any way, but we've deluded, allowed our culture to be deluded and our faith to God to erode. And look at the state of our country. I don't think it's shocking. If somebody today set out, we're going to establish a new nation. And our nation is going to be founded on the principles uh, that God teaches that we read about in the Bible. What would you think about the founders of that nation in, in modern day times? You think, wow, you could not have a better idea to found a nation. We'll go back 200 years. And that's what our founding fathers did. And now, not only do people not know that history... They're denying that history. Oh, those guys weren't Christians. They were a bunch of deists. Some of them were even atheists. The Greek word for that? Baloney. Hebrew would be hogwash. So that's just... Go back and read the documents. So if we forget our history, as a people, as a nation... And I'm, I'm not talking as a, as a proud American. I'm talking as someone who is born again through Jesus Christ and sees this nation's history as a, a marvelous attempt by our founding fathers to get back to what God said a country ought to be and to the rights of the individual that God established. That's what they said in the Declaration of Independence. Four times they reference the God of the Bible, the judge, the supreme judge of the universe. Those guys had it going on. And for people today to deny that, they're either ignorant or they're lying through their teeth. So, yeah, it's, there's nothing new under the sun. Anybody ever say that? Yeah, nothing new. So here we are. We're, we're reading about what's happening with us today in the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapters of First Samuel. Well, bells have rung. Uh, anybody got anything else as we, as we close up this morning's class? Read, read over the 7th chapter, and Lord willing, we'll come back to this next week and begin there. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.